1: you go through that valley so the world can see him exactly what's happening to Ahab the prophet said it but I will deliver you all this great multitude so that you will know that I am the Lord you will know that I'm the Lord he made it personal to Ahab I'm going to do this so you'll know me God's whole purpose is wanting people to know him and he will send you through valleys he will send you
0: through valleys There are going to be times in your life when you'll go through terribly difficult seasons. Today, Pastor Dave wants you to remember that in these dark valleys, God is with you. He's still working. If you trust Him, you'll see Him glorified and His plan accomplished. When you're in that darkness, look to the Lord. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Kings chapter 20 as he continues his message. Don't count your chickens before they hatch.
1: God's mission is to the entire world. Grace is our future. God and his grace is everlasting. It says in 1 Peter 1.13, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Grace is our hope beyond death. Grace reigns through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5.21. The gospel is all about the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul called it the gospel of grace of God, Acts 20, 24, and the word of grace in Acts 14, 3. The gospel of grace of God is the message everyone needs. It is the message that everyone needs. The word of grace is proclaimed on every single page of the Bible. Every single page of the Bible, and it's ultimately revealed in Jesus Christ. The last verse of the Bible summarizes it from Genesis to Revelation. The grace of our Lord be with you all. Through Jesus, we've received grace upon grace, John 1.16. For me, I need to take you back to my, one of my most favorite scriptures, which to me is the epitome of grace. For me. Might not be for you, but for me it is. I'll read it to you. Some of you might even know where I'm going. Ephesians 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses of sin, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. We were by nature children of wrath, just as others. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love in which we loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man can boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And to me, that's the epitome of grace. I was dead in my trespasses. I was dead in my sin life. I was going to hell in a handbasket. I was headed straight for a separation from God for all of eternity. But God reached down and showed me his grace. Church that works is trying to build that ladder up to God. But grace is God reaching down to a sinful man in the midst of his sin and saying, I love you. Take my hand and let me pull you out of that pit into my marvelous light. And that's what grace does. And that's what the grace of God does in our lives. That's what the grace of God has done in our lives. And we've been saved by grace through faith, not of works. I wasn't saved by works. I couldn't be saved by works. Me and Ahab didn't deserve it. We didn't deserve anything that God wanted to give us except his wrath. I was a child of wrath. My father was Satan. I was a child of wrath. That's what scripture says. But God... In his infinite mercy and his infinite grace didn't see anything good in me. Oh, I need to save Dave because he's really a good guy. No. God saw the worst in me and continued to love me and continues today. And I have been saved by grace and now I walk by grace every single day. Constantly walking by the grace of God. In other words, we were just like Ahab. We weren't any better. We were just like Ahab. But because of God's great love for us, in which he loved us, God, it was rich in mercy. Thank you. He made us alive in Jesus Christ. This is the second time now that the Lord has showed himself strong to King Ahab. The first was up on Mount Carmel. The first was up on Mount Carmel when they had the big challenge between the prophets of Baal and Elijah. God had showed himself strong. Will we ever understand the grace of God? I don't know. But to me, the grace of God is the heart of God. To me, the grace of God is the heart of God. But Ahab receives the promise of God and acts accordingly. And I love his question, who's going to attack first? The Lord says, you. Ahab obeys God's word and is the victor. And we will always be victorious when we obey God's word. We will always come out on top when we obey God's word. You can sacrifice all you want. But scripture says, I don't want sacrifice. I want obedience. I want obedience. Look at verses 30, 22 to 30. Thirty. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said, Go strengthen yourself, take note, and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year, the king of Syria will come against you. Then the servants of the king... Of Syria said to him, Their gods are gods of the hills, therefore they are stronger than we. But if we fight them against them in the plain, surely we'll be stronger than they. So do this thing dismiss the kings, each from his position, and put captains in their places, and you shall muster an army like the army that you have lost. "'horse for horse and chariot for chariot. "'Then we will fight against them in the plain. "'Surely we'll be stronger than they.' "'And he listened to the voice and did so. "'So it was in the spring of the year "'that Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians "'and went up to Ephak to fight against Israel.' And the children of Israel were mustered and given provisions, and they went against them. Now the children of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, and the Assyrians filled the countryside. Then a man of God came and spoke to the king of Israel and said, Thus says the Lord, Because the Syrians have said 'The the Lord is God of the hills, but he is not on the valleys, therefore I will deliver all this great multitude in your hand, and you shall know that I am Lord. And they encamped opposite each other for seven days. And so it was on the seventh day that the battle was joined. And the children of Israel killed 100,000 foot soldiers of the Syrians in one day. Oof. But the rest fled to Aphek into the city. Then a wall fell on 27,000 of the men who were left. And then Hadad fled and went into the city, into the inner chamber. What do you think? He has his great victory. This great, wonderful victory. Lord had given them a wonderful, wonderful victory. And then a prophet comes, uh, Don't celebrate too much because in the springtime you're going to do it again. Then it will be back. We should never let our guard down. We should always be vigilant. We should always watch and And we should always be looking for when the evil one will attack. Sometimes he tries an end run. If he can't get you one way, he'll try another. And it usually comes after a great victory. You have a wonderful, marvelous victory, and you're praising God, and bam, he comes up beside you and sneaks up on you. Always need to be prepared and ready for his schemes. Being great spirits, when all is going well and easy... Come on. Oh, the Lord is great. The Lord is wonderful. Yay. Then a trial comes along. Where's God? One minute you're worshiping Him. One minute you're telling Him how great He is. The next minute you're saying, Where are you, God? In the middle of this trouble. Where's our faith when this happens? God allows His children to go through valleys in order to show the world that He's not a God of the mountaintops only. We all love mountaintop experiences. I'm not complaining, trust me. I love to go to conferences. I love to go to retreats. I love it when the men get together. I love these mountaintop experiences. I love them. One of the things I always tell the guys when we're down at Sandy Cove, as we get ready to go home, I go, get prepared. Buckle up. And you know, some of it is, some of it, it's stupid. It's so stupid. You go, well, this is obviously not the Lord trying to get a hold of you. But some of it is very sly and very sneaky and under rare. One of the best fights I ever had with my wife was when I came home from a conference. He's always ready to sneak in and do these kind of crazy stuff. We've got to be aware of this. Is your God only a God of the mountaintop? Is, do you worship a God only on the mountaintop? Well, let me, know, let me tell you something. God is in the valley too. And you know who knew this? David, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you, Lord, are with me. David knew it. David knew it. And he let you go through that valley so the world can see him. Exactly what's happening to Ahab. The prophet said it. But I will deliver you all this great multitude so that you will know that I am the Lord. You will know that I'm the Lord. He made it personal to Ahab. I'm going to do this so you'll know me. God's whole purpose is wanting people to know him. And he will send you through valleys. He will send you through valleys. In verse 28, we see a man of God. This is not Elisha or Elijah, or it would have said so, in my opinion. This is probably one of those 7,000 who are still around one of the 7,000 who were still around. And although Ahab had a good thing going, it seems as though he's getting into a good relationship with God. But in the very, very next section, the end of this chapter, he blows it again. He blows it again. Let's read the rest of the chapter. Then the servant said to him, look now. We have heard the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Please let us put on sackcloth around our waist and ropes around our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare your life. So they wore sackcloth around their waist and put ropes around their heads and came to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. And he, Ahab, said, Is he still alive? He is my brother. Now the men were watching closely to see whether any sign of mercy would come from him. And they quickly grasped at the word when he said, Your brother Ben Hadad. So he said, Go bring him. Then Ben came out to him, and he had come up in into the chariot. So Benetad said to him, the cities which my father took from your father, I will restore, and you may set up marketplaces for yourself in Damascus as my father did in Samaria. Then Ahab said, I will send you away with this treaty. So he made a treaty with him and sent him away. Let's hang on to that for a minute. These guys come up and they disguise themselves. Does this sound familiar to anybody? Anybody else pick up on this? Does this sound familiar to anybody? Joshua 9. Joshua was given the order to go in and wipe out the people from the land. That was Joshua's order. He said, don't make any treaties with anybody. Remember the Gibeonites? The Gibeonites lived right across the river, not too far from them. What did they say? well, let's put dirt on our faces and let's rip our clothes and kind of, we'll come up to them, oh, we've walked such a long, long way. And we want to make a treaty with you because we hear that you're great and your God is good. And we want to make a treaty with you. And Joshua made a treaty with them. Made a treaty with them when God said, no, you're supposed to wipe them out. That's exactly what's happening here. Exactly what's happening here. He does it. And it's interesting. He calls Ben-Hadad his brother. He calls Benedad his brother. Now, let's look at this for a minute. They were obviously not related. And it wasn't a religious bro. You know how we look and go, hey, bro, you. Call each other brother and stuff, you know, because we were related through Christ. What were they brothers of? They were kings together. Exactly. They were brothers in monarchy. They were kingly brothers. You know how we just had one of my most favorite Favorite TV flicks of all time, I watch it every chance I get, is The Band of Brothers. It's about the, the um, 101st Airborne Group, and 506, that went out and fought in D-Day and, and on. And I love that. It's called Band of Brothers. When they're fighting together, they become a brotherhood. It's army and military. There's a brotherhood there. Well, that's what he's talking about. He calls him his brother because he was a king and, and ben Haddad was a king. So they had this brotherhood of king. But what was the problem with this? Was there a problem with this? All right, I'll tell you what the problem was. <laughs> the problem was, this was the priority of Benhadad's—I mean, Ahab's life. This was the priority. It was more to him to be a brother with a king than it was to be an Israelite. It was more to him than being a follower of Jehovah. Ahab prided himself and found his identity in the position as king. Where do you find your identity? Where do you find your identity? How many of us are the same way? How many of us think, well, I'm German, I'm Italian, I'm American, I'm a pastor. How many of us say those kind of things, you know? We all have this great love for our country. We're all patriots. We all love our country. But is your patriotism above your love for Jesus Christ? Is the fact that you are an Italian or a German or an Irishman or whatever it is you are above your relationship with Jesus Christ? That's what's being said here. He has putting all of that above Christ or above God, Jehovah. I'm not minimizing your heritages, please. I think it's important. I love the fact that we all have different heritages. I love that. And I, love the fa- I love the fact that because of Jesus Christ, now we have a new heritage. We're all children of, of the Most High God, and I love that. But what I'm trying to say is where's your priority? Where's your identity? Do you identify with God? You're a child of the most high God, and that should be our identity, and that should be our biggest identity. That should be everything, first and foremost. I mean, we're disciples of Jesus Christ. Our home is not really here, it's in heaven. We're just sojourners through. We must never forget whose we are and to whom we belong. We need to remember that, who we are and who we belong to. It's extremely important. And when you get in a pickle, and when you get in a problem, call for your big brother, Jesus Christ. Call on him. We got, have to remember from whence we've come. But there's a lesson here that's going to happen now as we finish up here. As we read the rest of 35 through 43... It's almost something right out of Nathan's playbook. Remember when I said that Ahab took something out of Solomon's playbook? Well, now we have something out of Nathan's playbook. Who was Nathan? The prophet that dimed out David in his sin. Remember? Nathan the prophet. The prophet that dimed out David. Well, let's finish up this chapter. Now a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his neighbor by the word of the Lord, Strike me, please. And the man refused to strike him. And he said to him, Because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord, surely as soon as you depart from me, a lion shall kill you. And as soon as he left, a lion found him and killed him. <laughs> we don't need to talk about obedience, do we? No, we'll go move on. And he found another man and said, Strike me. So the guy hit him six times. No, so the, so the man struck him, inflicting a wound. Then the prophet departed and waited for the king, this is Ahab, by the road, and disguised himself with a bandage over his eyes. Now as the king passed by, he cried out to the king and said, Your servant went out, and in the midst of battle, and went out, and there was a man who came over and brought me a man to him, and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. While your servant was busy here and there, he was gone." Then the king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. And he hastened to take the bandage away from his eyes, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. And then he said to him, Thus says the Lord, Because you have let slip out of your hand a man whom I appointed to utter destruction, therefore your life shall go for his, his life, and your people for his people. So the king of Israel went to his house sullen and displeased, And came to Samaria. Ahab was supposed to kill Ben-Hadad. He was supposed to take care of him. It says that in Scripture. He's supposed to take care of him. He was supposed to get him out of the way. Ben-Hadad will raise his head up again. There will be times when Ben-Hadad comes. Israel suffers greatly today because Joshua didn't do what the Lord told him to do and wipe out all of the people in the land when they came in the land. Israel still suffers today because of that. You gave in instead of, you followed your own logic rather than my command. And because of that, Ahab, you're headed for destruction. Ben-Hadad and his men appealed to Ahab's pride. God gave Ahab the victory, but nowhere do we read where Ahab was glorifying God for the victory. Hence, we're back to where he started. Right back where he started. He was taking credit, and he was claiming the spoils. He compromised. God intended that Hadad would be utterly destroyed, but he also intended it would happen by the hand of the army of Israel. Then he would get credit. God was more interested in things more than the death of Ben-Hadad. He was interested in the way it came about he wanted Israel to be lifted up he's trying to make Israel he want them to know and again I have the Lord desires obedience not sacrifice the Lord desire obedience not sacrifice Abram or Ahab excuse me wrong century Ahab was solemnly displeased but he was not repentant And therein is the key. He was sullen and he was displeased, but he was not repentant. Godly sorrow leads to repentance, true repentance. He didn't have godly sorrow. He had the sorrow of being a sinner and he had a sorrow of knowing the consequences without the sorrow for the sin itself. Ahab had cast his own fate. He had Signed his own death warrant by doing this. And because of this, he will eventually die. And he will be away from the Lord. Away from the Lord. There's a lot in there. So much in there. that you Take some time and and read for yourselves. Go back and look over chapter 20. There's so much in there. And and that was what the Lord gave me. That's what the Lord showed me and and that he might want to talk about tonight. That's what was on my heart. Maybe the Lord's will show you some different things. He might pull out some different scriptures for you. And that's what private study is all about. And that's what we do. We try to encourage you here at Calvary Chapel by going line by line. We try to whet your appetite so that you will go back and you will study the word of God. And you will read it. And what will the Lord talk to you about? And he can give you information. He can give you things that you might look at. Him. Things he, He's going to make it personal to you. He's going to make it personal to you. We learned a lot today. There was a lot of different things that we looked at today. Never take advantage of God's grace. You are a sure hope.
0: We'd love to keep studying the Word of God with you again next time on Assure Hope. In the meantime, we invite you to learn more about this program by visiting our website, assurehoperadio.com. There you'll find our archive of previous messages from Pastor Dave Shank, available to listen to, download, or even share with your friends and family, all free of charge. Just look under the Messages tab. You can listen to additional teachings from this series in 1 Kings or jump to another book of the Bible. Each book gives some useful insight into God's plan for you and the world you live in. We trust that A Sure Hope is an encouraging program for you, and if you're without a church family, we'd love for you to join us. If you happen to be in the Cape May area, we'd love to meet you in person for a time of worship and Bible study right here at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We meet weekly on Sunday at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m., and you can find all the information you need by visiting assurehoperadio.com. If you live further away or are unable to come in person, we understand and we'd still love for you to be part of our church family virtually. You can join us for Church Online through Facebook Live and on YouTube. Just follow the links that are available at assurehoperadio.com and don't forget to like and subscribe to keep up to date with the latest information. Well, that's all the time we have for today, but we are grateful that you were a part of our listening audience today. Be sure to join us again next time for more from First Kings right here on Assure Hope.